Well, aren't you glad that God's mercy <clears throat> reached down and, and touched our spirits, touched our hearts, <clears throat> and created within us that desire to seek Him, <clears throat> that longing for Him? And uh, we stand here tonight, first day of the new year, because God's mercy has brought us this far. And if we're gathering together this time next year, it'll be because His mercy extended to us, took us another 12 months, allowed us to go another year with Him. There are so many, so many uh, wonderful manifestations of God's grace in this assembly. So, so very many. <clears throat> the, uh, the, uh, the, the work of God ultimately is to cover the entire earth. <clears throat> but uh, at the present time, Christ is really working uh, through the church. <clears throat> and then at the same time, God is at work in the entire world. Uh, there's not one, uh, one area of the entire universe that God is not in control of. He's in control of everything. <clears throat> but He is not uh, working uh, in everything and everybody like He's working in the church. The, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, scripture, uh, the Scripture in the fourth chapter of of Ephesians, in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, uh, Paul Paul made the uh, uh, the statement here that <clears throat> that when Christ resurrected from the dead in Ephesians four and verse ten, uh, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens. <coughs> Pardon me, <coughs> that he might fill all things. God, uh, God ultimately has determined that every facet of life in the entire universe <clears throat> is to be feel, filled with the image of Christ. Uh, the, the image of Christ, the knowledge of Christ, the thinking of Christ, the attitude of Christ, uh, the love of Christ is to fill everything, <clears throat> that he might fill all things. Uh, this uh, <clears throat> this means that that there's no way that <clears throat> any of us as God's children can think that we have two lives that we live <clears throat> a secular life and a religious life <clears throat> one life when we're out of the church and another lifestyle when we're in the church or around God's people <clears throat> this is not true uh, <clears throat> God's uh, Eternal purpose is that every everything that constitutes uh, anything in the entire universe is ultimately to be filled uh, with Christ, that He might fill all things, that He might fill all things with Himself. Uh, <clears throat> that just means that that in the end, that uh, leisure will be participated in as Jesus Christ himself 
uh, would participate in any leisure time that he would have. <clears throat> that means that relaxation, uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, exercise, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> pardon me, exercise, relaxation, uh, work, work habits, work ethics, <clears throat> family, uh, time to yourself, time alone, time with people, social graces, manners, uh, the, way, uh, the way we speak, uh, our vocabulary, in our particular case, English. Uh, we have to fill the English language with Christ. <clears throat> All things are to be filled with Him. Uh, that just means that that we come to the place as God's children in the church age that, that wherever we are, we're absolutely living our lives or Christ is living through us. See, He's going to fill all things with Himself. <clears throat> when uh, Christ attended a wedding, He didn't get hilarious. He wasn't giggly. He wasn't loud-mouthed. He wasn't boisterous. Uh, he, uh, had a, he had a demeanor. There was, a, there was a way that he conducted himself at a wedding. He didn't throw rice. He didn't throw confetti. He didn't tell lewd jokes. He didn't crack lewd jokes. Uh, he didn't make some off-the-cuff, smart aleck, uh, off-color statement uh, of, of receptions, uh, get-togethers. Uh, everything is going to be done in conformity with the image of Christ. Uh, that, just, that just means that if we're going to stand in the first resurrection, that the entirety of our life must be filled with himself before we breathe our last breath. <clears throat> that means that uh, when Paul was relaxing, uh, he was relaxing as he would relax in the kingdom. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't engaging in, <clears throat> in something that was off-color. Uh, Christ, Christ was filling Paul with himself, his thinking, his attitude. Uh, <clears throat> when, you, uh, uh, when you go to work on the job in the morning, uh, Christ walking in you, uh, and you eat Christ getting up from bed in the morning, having breakfast, preparing, dressing, the very clothes you put on were the clothes that Christ would put on if he was in your shoes. In other words, the style, uh, the, uh, the cut, the fit, the color, uh, that would be done as though Jesus Christ himself were getting dressed to go to work. And uh, how you handle yourself to and from work, on the job, the way you act in the office, in the plant, uh, the way you conduct yourself. You're conducting yourself as, as Christ would have conducted himself, the way you think, the way you talk, the way you act, the way you react. <coughs> we, uh, <coughs> we have to uh, have this marred image healed to where we conduct ourselves like, <coughs> like Adam and Eve conducted themselves before they fell. <clears throat> the way Adam thought before he fell, <clears throat> the way he acted before he fell. Uh, this, is the, this, is, this is what it means for Christ to fill all things uh, with himself, that he might fill all, 
things with himself. And uh, uh, the Lord is already, already filling us with himself. He's already doing that. Uh, every one of us have had a certain measure of Christ poured into us. Uh, every, every one of us here in the church tonight has a certain measure of Christ poured into us. And uh, Paul said in verse 7, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure. See, that he might fill all things to, to the amount that he has filled us with himself. See, to every one of us is given, given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. <clears throat> God measures uh, his Son in us, pours out his Son in us. His love. How much do you love the church? That's, that's, uh, if your love is, <clears throat> is special, then that's because God's grace has uh, poured out enough of His Son's love in your heart that it causes you to be addicted uh, to the work of God. <clears throat> you dear uh, sisters that Monday night and Thursday night come over here and keep this building so clean. I want to I want to thank you for that. I want to uh, tell you how much I appreciate your 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 love that Christ has been poured out in you enough that that you desire to see uh, that the church house, the house where the church meets, uh, clean, not a not a speck on the floor, not a piece of paper on the floor anywhere. <clears throat> and you'd have a hard time finding dust somewhere. Run your hands over over different areas of the building. And I walk through the building and and I see 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 the carefulness. I see someone cares. And it makes me feel real good that that the church uh, building is not dirty and it's not slummy and it's not crummy, cruddy. It's not running down. Uh, but someone cares. Someone cares about how this building is kept up. Uh, that's uh, uh, you. You have my heart. Uh, you feel like I feel about it. You that have taken this this uh, this uh, interest uh, in this area to heart. <clears throat> there is a um, there is a, a scripture. <clears throat> There's a scripture here in Colossians. <clears throat> the uh, uh, the fourth uh, chapter of, of Colossians, Paul, Paul made a statement that reads like this. In Colossians, the fourth, fourth chapter and the twelfth verse, Paul speaking about Epaphras, uh, who, who is one of you. He was from the church at Colossae. Uh, Colossians 4.12, he said, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ. We... We only serve Christ as we serve one another. There's no one loves Christ that doesn't love us enough to, to bear their cross in our behalf. No one, no one can say they love Christ when they won't turn their hand uh, to defend the church, to protect the church, to support the church, to shut the mouth of the critic. They don't love Christ. They may say they do, but they're a liar. Because how can you love him whom you have not seen if you cannot love your brother and sister whom you have seen? Right. See, your, 
Your love for Christ is only as great as your love uh, for us. Uh, your carefulness for us. Uh, your, uh, your sacrifice for us. Your willingness to bear your cross for us. To take wrong. To be defrauded. Uh, if, it, if it would redound to our good. Uh, that's how much you love Christ. There's a lot of individuals say they love Christ, but they, they really don't because you can't love Christ and ignore your brother and sister that you can see. John said, how can you love uh, God whom you have not seen and hate your brother whom you have seen? Uh, it, just, it just doesn't work that way. But Epaphras, who is one of you, is a servant of Christ. Now, how did Paul know he was a servant of Christ? See, there are a definite uh, signs... Uh, that we can identify uh, individuals that are absolutely servants of Christ. <clears throat> there are signs. There are earmarks. Uh, and just because a person says, well, I love the Lord, uh, that, doesn't, uh, that, that shouldn't go one inch with you. That shouldn't cut any mustard at all with you. Someone says, well, I love the Lord. Uh, you, should, uh, you, should, you, you should be as one that didn't even hear them say that. Because that doesn't mean anything. See, that means nothing at all. James said, show me your faith uh, without your works. And he said, I'll show you my faith by my works. And so when Paul said Epaphras was a servant of Christ, uh, he knew what he was talking about. <clears throat> See, Paul absolutely understood what he was talking about. And he said, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you. Uh, how did Paul know he was a servant of Christ? Because he was always laboring fervently for the saints at Colossae. <clears throat> See, that's how Paul knew he was a servant of Christ, because he was a servant of his brothers and sisters. He was a servant of God's children. You're not a servant of Christ when you don't serve the church. It's impossible for anyone to be a servant of Christ that is not a servant of the church. It's an impossibility. See, now hold your finger right there and uh, turn over to uh, Revelation, the, the uh, 11th chapter of Revelation. And this is the difference in the body of Christ and Babylon. <clears throat> this is the difference in the body of Christ and, 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 and the rest of Christendom. <clears throat> because here in the 11th chapter of Revelation, there's a little special insight that's given uh, to the church. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and that, of course, was a yardstick. It was a, it was a, a, a system of measurement. And the angel stood saying, rise, rise. You don't do much uh, sitting. You've got to get involved. You know, get on your feet. Stand up. Say something. Uh, go, go walk across the church. Help someone. Uh, uh, walk... Uh, Walk, walk back to the broom closet, get a, a vacuum cleaner, start uh, walking behind it, down the corridors around the building. Walk back in the garage and uh, get, a, get a lawnmower and walk behind it and cut the grass in the spring, the summer, and the fall. See, so he says, arise. And, uh, and then John was told to measure the temple of God. <clears throat> See, the temple of God is a measured place. <clears throat> There's, <clears throat> there, is, there is a measured structure that we have become a part of. Uh, this, is, this is measured. There are measurements here. And uh, the altar, that that, we, uh, that that we die upon, that that we lay ourselves 
as servants upon, that that we sacrifice our lives upon. How, How do you measure sacrifice? What is acceptable sacrifice to God? Well, what is acceptable sacrifice? <clears throat> the brethren in Corinth that wanted to sue their brothers at law uh, hadn't uh, measured uh, the altar and how they were to qualify within the confines of that measurement to offer a sacrifice acceptable to God. Uh, the altar is measured. And Paul said, you ought rather to suffer ye yourselves to be defrauded. Rather than to take the case to court and bring the church under embarrassment and intimidation uh, in the community. See, the altar is measured. And if I don't know what the measurements are, then my big old gobby flesh will will get in the way. Because I I will not know what the confines of the restrictions, the measurements are that uh, that uh, that determine the the appropriateness of my sacrifice in God's sight. Uh, my sacrifice is a measured sacrifice. And uh, these brothers that were suing their brothers at law, uh, they were not operating or confining themselves within the proper measurement. See? And then them that worship therein. See, we're measured. Our spirit is measured. Uh, how, how far are you allowed to go to protect yourself? How far are you allowed to go in criticizing someone? How far does God measure? Uh, how far can you go in taking revenge? What's, uh, how far can you go in, in wallowing in self-pity? See, see, we're measured. See, I must, uh, I must uh, know what the measurements are so that I will know if, I'm, if, I'm, uh, if I've gone beyond that that God measures me in feeling sorry for myself. I've, I just feel so sorry for myself. And I don't realize what the measurement is. And in feeling sorry for myself, the first thing you know, I get to the place that I may be, be drawing back, holding back. And sitting back, staying at home, because I'm wallowing in self-pity, because God didn't measure that amount that far. I can't go that far. I'm not allowed to, to uh, reach out into that, into that, uh, that far. I'm not, able, I'm not allowed by God's measurement to reach out that far. I'm measured. Uh, my, my life, my feelings, uh, how... Uh, how far can I go in trying to avenge myself? Uh, how, how much animosity can I hold in my heart? If, I, if, uh, if an individual's done me wrong and I go to them and they repent, uh, then am I allowed to hold a grudge in my heart? No, I'm not. I'm not. I, I can't hold a grudge in my heart then. See, God doesn't measure me the right to be hurt to the extent that every time I see them, I feel bad towards them after they've repented to me. See, this is, this is measured. I'm being, uh, I'm being prepared to handle immortality by, by working within the measurement that, that's going to uh, create within me the right spirit where I can be trusted with immortality. See, every carpenter carries a, a rule and a square tape measure, and he's got his blueprints out there, 
And every piece of uh, material has to be cut according to specifications. It's measured. The blueprints will tell him exactly how long that stud is supposed to be, just how long that rafter is, uh, just how just how uh, how close those four joists are to sit together, and uh, how long it's to be. Everything is measured. Well, our lives are measured also. And uh, the majority of God's people, and, and even us when we came here, we were not conducting ourselves within the measurements. We, we, uh, <clears throat> we, were, we were beyond the measurements. We were not within the perimeters of the measurements that God had, 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 had delegated to us. That's, that's the difference in us and them. Because, because to inhabit this house not made with hands, then we must be cut down to the size of that house. That, 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 that house not made with hands that Paul said we're going to move into, lest we be found naked. See, see, we're going to move into a house. Now, that house is not going to expand itself for your exalted spirit. That house is not going to expand itself for your touchy spirit. That house is not going to expand itself for your jealous spirit. That house is not going to expand itself for your self-righteous spirit. See, you must be cut back now. You must begin to learn what the perimeters of your operations are now. So you can just move right on into that house. Because it's not going to be a tight fit. It won't be a tight fit. It's not going to be a tight fit. Every phase of your mind, your heart, your moods, your emotions uh, must be brought, brought in. Brought in. Paul said, casting down every high thing that exalteth itself against the measurement of God. And bringing within scriptural limits and bringing into captivity every thought to the measurement of Christ, to the obedience of Christ. See? 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 The Lord's not going to, to give you a great big body to make room for your exalted spirit or your touchy spirit or your jealous spirit or your envious spirit or your self-righteous spirit or your get-back spirit, your vengeful spirit. See, the Lord's not going to give you a body big enough uh, to uh, cater to that excess that's in your, in your life. He's not going to do that. And so since that body is already, already, already designed, it's already designed. It's already, it's already, it's already measured. That body's already measured. It's already measured. Uh, that, that, that means that that these areas of our lives must come into conformity uh, to, uh, to the image of Jesus Christ so that we can slip right into that body and there's nothing out of line in us. That uh, everything about us operates within limits, tolerances, within tolerances. Everybody say, within tolerances. Within tolerances. Tolerances. The word tolerance is a word that an inspector would use in an inspection department with micrometers. 
when he when he measures certain materials and they have to be within certain tolerances it's a it's a it's a unit of measurement and and this is what <clears throat> this is what the lord is doing with us <clears throat> and uh Paul said here in Colossians 4 and verse 12, he said, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. This is how Paul knew that this brother was a servant of Christ, because he labored, labored for the saints of God. He labored fervently in prayers. He was a prayer warrior. Uh, He had... uh, he had found the will of God for his life. He'd found God's will for his life. Uh, laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Uh, Epaphras had found the will of God for his life. Uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the will of God for, for your life uh is is seldom is seldom manifested uh, in uh, visions or dreams now it can be and it has been in many cases but it does not always have to be that way uh for for instance here in 1 Corinthians the uh the uh uh second Corinthians second uh, Corinthians the the uh, uh, let's see the eighth chapter, second second Corinthians the eighth chapter, and uh, the verse of scripture here, second Corinthians eight sixteen, <clears throat> where where Paul said, I gave you this verse not too long ago, but thanks be to God, who uh, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. Um, I made the statement that a man could not work as a pastor, uh, as one of the five offices in the ministry, when it was a burden for him to to take care of God's people. To get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and go to the hospital, it's a burden. Uh, uh, it makes him grouchy, uh, crabby. Uh, to uh, have his free time imposed upon because a saint is in bad shape and needs counseling. And uh, he, he utters a comment that he shouldn't utter. He, uh, uh, he, he's, he's a hireling. He's a hireling. He's just doing it for a living, just like he'd be a bookkeeper in a corporation somewhere. To make a living, he's not a God called man. Uh, <clears throat> some some men may say, I, "I know God called me to the ministry because <clears throat> I <clears throat> I had a dream I was tending sheep." But if he's crabby and grouchy and cranky, <clears throat> whenever he feels like the need of a child of God imposes upon him, he he better throw his dream in the garbage bucket. God never did call him to the ministry. A more sure sign is, Paul said, but thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. Titus may have never had a dream. He may have never seen a vision. But he couldn't get away from this love that he had in his heart for God's people. Uh, he, He wanted to be with God's people. 
If there was a need, he, he wanted to be there. If there was anything that he could do, he wanted to be there. That, that, that was a sure sign of his calling from God, far greater than a dream or, or a vision of any kind. It was, it was that that God had placed in his heart. See, see, Titus had found the will of God for his life. See, he'd found that will of God. See, see, God placed that care in his heart. When, a, when an individual does not, is not convicted in what they're doing, they're just forcing themselves to do it. Uh, they really haven't found uh, the will of God for their lives. You take, uh, you take Brother Delbert and Sister Martha working in our library. I I doubt if they ever had a dream or a vision. But in their heart, there's this, uh, this desire. There is this uh, drive. There is this motivation uh, to get to the church, to get to the library, to see that the tapes are packaged and the labels are printed and they're sent out. There's something in here. There's an earnest desire that God has placed in here. See? That, 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 that is a sign to us that they found the will of God for their lives. See? But thanks be to God which put this earnest care into the heart of Brother Delbert and Sister Martha to see to it that that our library department functions not only for this assembly, but for the entire fellowship. See, we, we, we know that, that they're in the will of God because there's something in here that, uh, that, that, that they, just, they just can't get away from. It doesn't make any difference if you're sick. You feel like you've, I've got to be at the library tonight. I have to be there. There's work to be done. See, you don't find excuses to stay at home because that's God's will for their life. See, Paul, Paul, Paul made the statement here in, in Colossians 4 and, and, and verse 12b that you may stand perfect. That you may stand perfect. That does not mean sinless, but it means fully mature in all the will of God. That you may stand perfect and complete. Perfect means mature. That you have uh, you have grown, uh, you have come into the fullness, uh, you have come into the completeness, uh, you have found God's purpose for your life. See that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And this is how we know that. Brother Delbert and Sister Martha are standing perfect and complete in all the will of God because, because of this earnest uh, desire, this earnest carefulness uh, that's in their heart. That's, uh, that's in our sister's uh, heart that, that they just have to be here to see that this building is clean. Uh, this, uh, this, this, this structure, building it with our own hands, with hardly any cost going for labor, materials alone. Now, this building cost us a million and a half dollars 12 years ago. Now, that, uh, that's no labor cost at all. That was 12 years ago. Just the material cost us, it cost us a little over one and a half million dollars. 
And, and there are saints of God in this church that, that God has put the same earnest care in their heart to see to it that this, that this building is spick and span, is spotless. Individuals walk in and, and, uh, and it says you can't find any, any dirt. It's just amazing. It just, it just reflects carefulness. Someone cares. Someone's found the will of God for their life in this area. They're standing complete in the will of God. Because we know this is the will of God because they, they, it's, it's not hard for them to be faithful in this matter. But it's, it's not hard for them to be faithful because God has put this care in their heart. See, God has put this care in their heart. And we thank God for you. We need you. See? And Paul, Paul went on to say here in Second Corinthians, the, the eighth chapter, he made, uh, uh, he made uh, the statement here in uh, verse uh, 22. <clears throat> he said, And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent. See, there's something about God's children that is, as the months and the years go by, over and over again, we must see your diligence in different areas. See, we, we must we must see that diligence. We must we may see you're not you're not just uh, you're not just content to be an usher. Uh, you uh, you want to be sure that everyone that enters the house of God is greeted with the love of God from your heart. Uh, you you want to be sure that your manners are are impeccable and your spirit is right. Uh, if there's a, a saint that looks a little downcast or you think there's a problem in someone's uh, relations uh, with someone because of their countenance or the tone of their voice, that you're right there with a good word. And, Is there anything I can do? Uh, you're so careful in how you uh, seat the individuals. You wouldn't bring them in if someone was up talking unless they were sitting down towards the back. Very careful not to disturb a service or detract when someone's testifying or the man of God's on his feet, that you would be careful to, someone may walk out, but if they come back in, you set them towards the back. Someone up here may get ill and walk out. But if they come back in, you sit in the back. You don't walk all the way back down here to your seat and disrupt the attention of the congregation while I'm here on my feet talking. And a usher that's real diligent would know that that uh, this individual may have sit up there, but, but, but the man of God's on his feet. And we're not going to be disruptive and bring that saint all the way back down. Uh, they can sit in the back, and when the, when, the offering's being, when the offering's been taken, or we're singing a song and we're standing, then that saint can walk on down and find their seat. Diligence. It's not enough just to uh, walk around the... Uh, church uh, property every 30 minutes and see that the cars of the saints are safe. And while you're on the property, you're laughing and joking and really not looking and prayerful. Lord, protect me if there's anyone out here. Uh, protect my life. If there's anyone out here up to no good, Lord, let me find them. I touch my mind, my heart, that I would make the right turn, walk between the right automobiles and find them crouched down uh, at, the, at the hood of the car. Don't, uh, don't let someone be out here that's going to uh, break someone's window glass out of the car. 
I'm here. I want to be diligent. See, and you, you have that carefulness in your heart. You have that care in your heart. Then God put that care there. Then you, you are beginning to stand complete in all the will of God. So you may have never had a dream that you was to be an usher, but there's just that desire in your heart to protect the house of God, to protect the saints of God, uh, to make uh, the man of God's work more easier and more pleasant, uh, to make his work more pleasant, easier. Uh, whatever I can do that might lend uh, dignity might dignify the man of God's ministry, might lend dignity to uh, the house of God and the worship of God's people. <clears throat> see, see, that's something that's put in your heart by God. You don't go to school and get that. You don't read a book and get that. You don't get a diploma hanging on the wall and have it there. That's put there by God. And uh, we're, we're, to find, we're to find our place. <clears throat> we're... <clears throat> we're we're to develop that that God places in our heart. We're to develop that in all these different areas. Uh, and we have sent with them our brother, Second uh, Corinthians 8.22, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent. Diligent. Uh, that means that, <clears throat> that you'll keep your word. We need that in the ministry. We, we need men in the ministry that are not vacillating. And... Uh, this entire congregation must be made up more and more of uh, brothers and sisters, men and women that are not vacillating. Uh, there's no one going to be in the bride of Jesus Christ, whether it's a pastor or, or a saint of God that's vacillating, wishy-washy. Uh, you can't depend on them. Uh, they, uh, they draw back. They're, they're not dependable. They don't... Uh, they don't uh, seem to realize they need to be responsible. To be responsible. See, to be, to be diligent in many things. See, prove diligent in many things. Everybody say diligent in many things. Diligent. See, that, uh, that, uh, that shows that, that uh, something has a hold of our heart. And we don't want to slop up the work of God. We want to see to it that, that whatever our hands touch, we want it to be done the best. The very best that it can possibly be done. Because it's being done for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that's, uh, uh, that's because everything about the body of Christ is measured. And there's no way that we can just slop things up. I talk to the staff around here sometimes and... and uh, Try to say a few words to let them <clears throat> know that I don't want them to be sloppy. I want them to do things better. <clears throat> I want them to be more technical and upgrade themselves to where they approach whatever, whatever it is that they're doing with more skill. Uh, they, they, they do it more skillful because, because they're serving the Lord Christ. See, Paul, Paul said here of Epaphras, he said in, first, in Colossians 4, uh, Twelve, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ. See, we prove we prove how much we love Christ, and we prove how much a servant of Christ we are by how diligent we labor in various areas of the work of God for the overall uh, completion and 
fruition of, uh, of the fulfillment of the task at hand. Uh, all of us, all of us, all of us have something to contribute. Every one of us has something to contribute. And you don't need a dream to know what to do. You don't need a vision to know what to do. But there's, there's something in your heart. I don't know if Sister Melba Yance ever had a dream or, or a vision. But, but she, she loves to draw. She really loves to, 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 work, uh, to work a work of art. She, she just loves to do that. And do you notice in our, in our last project that, that the library and printing department uh, turned out uh, this tape book, the, the Perfect Humanity of Christ? Well, see, the cover on the front of that uh, was Sister Melba Yant's artwork. Uh, she, just, she just loves to do that. She, uh, she wants to do that. Uh, that was Christ looking over the city of Jerusalem. That was Christ looking over the city of Jerusalem. And, and since we don't know what his face looked like, you couldn't see his face. You only saw a side profile of his face. But we saw his back because we know he had a human body. We know he had a body, but we don't know what his face looked like. And so she didn't paint his face or picture his face, but there he was, in a perfect human body, uh, the Christ. Uh, her, her diligence in trying to do the very, very best that she can uh, to see that, that as she serves Christ by her willingness and her diligence in giving the very best that she has for us so that that is a work of art. It's something you can be proud of. You can give that to someone or you can loan it to someone. And it's first class all the way. See? She, she proves how much she serves Christ by the time she spends for us. That's, that's, you, you only love Christ as much as you love us. When you're not willing to spend time for us, you do not love Christ. You do not. Just coming to church and sitting on a pew is not enough. There must be, there must be ways that, that we can prove uh, that, that there are absolutely uh, contributions that we can make to the work of God. And I'm not just speaking of offerings either. Uh, Paul, Paul, went on, Paul went on here in uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and verse, uh, verse 22 said, And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things. See, diligent in many things. That just, that's, uh, that's a little unusual because it shows that some people care and uh, whatever they touch, they're going to see to it that it's done right. I, uh, I like the diligence that Brother Bill Mercer shows uh, with his hands. Uh, I've watched him be diligent in more, more than just ushering. When you, when you walk into these two meditation courts out here, when you walk into these two meditation courts, at one time it was just plasterboard and paint. I didn't like that. That was the quickest way we could put it together to get in the building. I didn't like that. It's, uh, it's outdoorsy. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, 
He speaks the South. Uh, in the winter time, you can look through the uh, dome, and there's the blue sky, and there's heat in there, and green plants. And uh, I, I, I wanted it to look more rustic, more outdoorsy. And so I talked to Brother Bill Mercer and told him what I wanted. Told him the, the, the shingles that I wanted up there. Told him exactly what I wanted. And I found him to be very diligent. I found him to do exactly, exactly what I wanted him to do. We didn't have to tear it down and do it again. We didn't have to, we didn't have to go around to tear his work off and let someone else do it right. See, because he wasn't diligent. Uh, we, uh, we go to meetings around the country. And uh, to make it easier, sometimes Sister June and I will give our, our clothes, our suits, uh, to someone to, to take for us if they're driving through. If they're driving through. If they're driving through. <clears throat> and that keeps us from having to pack it in a suitcase and to get it all messed up in an airplane or uh, hanging it in uh, a closet on the airplane. time you get there, someone else has already grabbed your hanger and gone with it. And so there have been different saints in this church uh, that we have uh, just given these clothes to. And they're on hangers. They're in bags. And they don't... Uh, they don't just lay them down in the trunk and throw everything on top of it. it is, sometimes they may have to if the car is full, but they, usually they're laid on the top. Not because I ask them to, but because they want their pastor to look nice standing in front of the people. And uh, if they're going to be on the road several nights, they don't leave that laying in the trunk or hanging in the car or the van for somebody to steal. Uh, they, they take those clothes inside their motel room and they hang them up where they're, where they're guarded, where they can watch over them. And when they leave the next day, they take them out. And then when I get to my destination, there they are hanging in my motel room. See, that's someone being diligent. See? See, being diligent. See, being diligent. Everyone say being diligent. Being diligent. You can't have much of a church. When you've got a lot of sloppy people. See, see the, the cause of Jesus Christ uh, requires diligence. Diligence. It requires diligence on the part of the ministry. We, we have to be diligent to know what's going on in the church. Who's doing what? See, we have to know. We have to make that our business. Doesn't mean that we're broadcasting it, God forbid. But we, we have to know. Lest something be working that would be disruptive to the church. Like a father or mother in the home. They need to be diligent. You need to know where your children are. You need to know who they're associating with. You need to know what kind of customs and practices they are picking up. Uh, you, you, you watch our young children. You watch our young children. And instead of sitting up nice and straight in a, a chair or a pew, they slouch and sloppy. They get slouchy. They just slouch. You, we're not talking about now at home relaxing. We're not talking about relaxing. Uh, we're talking about the image we portray in public. See? 
We're, talk, we're not talking about relaxing at home. Uh, and, and yet I am talking about the way you sit at the dinner table or the breakfast table or how you sit when, when, you're, uh, when you're being uh, instructed by your parents. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about when you're just relaxed. I'm talking about the way you slouch here in the pews. You take an individual that doesn't have enough uh, ambition to, to sit up straight when they're so lazy and they don't even have enough ambition to sit up straight. I don't think they've got a future at all. See, because this lack of, of care, carefulness, this lack of carefulness, that they, they, they're not even ambitious enough uh, to, to, to create a good impression in the public. That they, they're sloppy, they're slouchy. They just sit around anyway. There's no dignity. See, there's, there's no dignity, there's no carefulness. And, and that means that they're going to approach their studies in school with the same sloppy attitude. See? See, there's no diligence there. See, if I was a parent, I would be diligent in watching these things. I'd be watching for these things in my children. I'd be watching for these things because, because I'm supposed to train up that child in the way it should go. It's my responsibility to see to it that my son or my daughter succeeds, that they don't fail. And so the proper, the proper habits, the proper attitudes uh, must be put in their lives when they're small, while they're young, while the twig can be bent. Not after they're old and only the grace of God can get in there and change them. Uh, we're not talking about the grace of God. We're talking about parents bending the twig in the way it should go, uh, bending the sapling in the way, directing it in the paths that, that it ought to take. And when it's old, it won't depart from because habits and patterns have been established. We're not, we're not even talking about the grace of God unless it would be, and it must be, and it is, the grace of God in the parent in behalf of that child in this condition. That would be God's grace, too. That would be the grace of God touching the parent in behalf of the child. Uh, uh, Paul, Paul went on to say, he said, But now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you. In other words, Paul's attitude uh, towards the church at Corinth uh, had, a, had a mitigating effect on this brother. Uh, this brother knew how Paul felt about the offering that was being raised in Corinth. Uh, this, 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 this increased the, this increased the, the job uh, 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 what? No, it, uh, responsibility, the level of accountability and responsibility, you go up higher. The more, the more responsibility you carry, the more... What? I can't hear you. Well, it requires more qualification, but you're becoming more responsible. Uh, and this, this brother even became more diligent when he saw how Paul felt about this. Uh, how important this was to Paul. 
When, when this brother saw how important this offering uh, was that the Corinthians uh, were taking up uh, the great emphasis that Paul placed on it, the necessity, the need, uh, this caused this brother to even become more diligent. In other words, in other words, in other words, he didn't take the attitude, uh, it didn't make any difference what Paul thought, he was just going to slop it up his old way, his old attitude. In other words, this brother was, was, directly, was directly identified with Paul in, in, his, in his, his, this brother's performance to the task at hand was, uh, was uh, influenced by his relationship to Paul. See? See, see, we're looking at a New Testament church. Now, there's always individuals hanging around that don't know their left hand from their right. They, they, they don't know what's going on, never will. But that's not why the church grows. That's not why the church prospers. That's not why the church functions. And that's not where the bride members will come from. The bride members that are going to be given control of ten cities, five cities, two cities, are going to be these individuals that have developed a tremendous amount of diligence and carefulness concerning the work of God and the things of God. The work of God, the things of God, to where, to where, to where, it, if it's important to Brother Goodwin, it's important to me. See, in other words, the, the job at hand takes on added stature, interest. The job at hand takes on added interest because this is important to Brother Goodwin. And because it was important to Brother Paul, this brother even became more diligent. So he became more diligent, showing that, that his performance of the task at hand was influenced by his relationship to Paul. See, see we're, we're, we're talking about New Testament order. We're talking about a church. We're talking about how we serve Christ. See, this is the way this brother, we know this brother served Christ by the diligent attention he gave to the task at hand. This is, you can't, you, can't, you can't get on an elevator and go to heaven and say, uh, Jesus, got any streets up here that need to be swept? See, see, you can't serve Christ by somehow just serving Christ. The only way you can serve Christ is to become diligently involved in, in some kind of contribution to the saints of God that make up the church of God. This is the only way you can serve Christ. There is no other way to serve Christ. None, none at all. We, we have some saints in this church that work hard. And uh, they, they, they prove they serve Christ even in offerings. I have saints that will stop by uh, the office, come into my office. They, the brother and his wife will walk in the office. And I know that they don't have much of this world's goods. And they'll say, Brother Goodwin, we've been saving this now uh, for over a year. And we want to give this to the church. And I'll say, well, I said, I say, are, are you sure that you can give this to the church? And they'll say, I don't even know how much it is. And they'll say, yes, we want to give it to the church. 
And I, I look at it, maybe $10,000. They haven't bought a home. They're there. They may be living with several members of their family in a house. But they, they prove how much they are serving Christ by the way they're serving us. This is, this is the way that we've been able to get this assembly into a debt-free posture. And we're moving down the road. We already have over $350,000 in our building fund for the school. It's because individuals prove how much they serve Christ by the way they serve us. See, they, 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 they become very diligent. In this, in this particular couple's life, they became very diligent in the way they spent their money. You can eat so many meals out that you'll have a hard time paying tithes. Uh, it's, it's a whole lot cheaper to go home and prepare a meal than it is to eat out or to stop at Dolls and buy it already made and bring it home and throw it on the table. It'll cost you four or five times as much as if you would prepare a little simple meal at home yourself because Dolls has to make a profit. They've got, to, they've got to pay for the lights. They've got to pay for the gas. They've got to pay for the insurance. They've got to pay for the help. They've got to pay for the raw material. They've got to pay for the little plastic box to put it in. They say, see, and you're paying for all of that, and that means God doesn't get that money. See, see in other words, to be diligent, we have to, we have, we have to find out where are we? Where are we? Well, what is my position in life? What, what do I have to offer? What do I have to offer? You may have more to offer than you think. Uh, it, it, it depends on how diligent we are as to how much we've got to offer and what ways we have to offer. See? And so when Paul made the statement here in the fourth chapter of, of Ephesians that, that, that God intends for Christ to fill all things with himself... Well, it starts with us now. See, it starts with us now. Uh, all language is to be filled with Christ. All professions are to be filled with Christ. All, all, all writings, all literature is to be filled with Christ. All, all education is to be filled with Christ. All, all leisure is to be filled with Christ. Uh, the kingdom... The kingdom is not going to see one facet of life conducted outside the framework of the spirit and the thinking and the mannerisms of Jesus Christ. Thy kingdom come. See? Thy kingdom come. See, see even in the kitchen, the way we eat, uh, to bring glory to God. If, God. if Christ is going to fill all things with himself, then even the kitchen must be filled with Christ. That you must see to it that you don't, don't get too many carbohydrates, you don't get too many greasy foods, you don't get too many fats, tallow, tallow, lard. Uh, that gets in the blood vessels, clogs up the blood vessels and gives you a stroke or a heart attack. See? See, if, if God intends for Christ to fill all things with himself, there's a scripture here in Zechariah uh, pertaining to the kingdom of God. Uh, showing us that in the kingdom, uh, everything is going to be filled with Christ. Everything. Everything. 
government. Uh, 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 I'm looking now for for standards of construction and uh, cities and uh, building codes. All this must be filled with Christ. And you notice here in the 14th chapter of Zechariah, next to the last book in the Old Testament, Zechariah, Malachi, uh, there's, there's several scriptures that, that I want here. But here in the 21st verse, <clears throat> said, Yea, every pot in Jerusalem, that's kettles, uh, that's stewpans, every pot. You got little stewpans, little pots that you warm water in, that you open a can of corn and you dump into there. Uh, pots, uh, uh, stainless steel. You don't want to use aluminum ware because it's a proven fact that little flecks of aluminum uh, scrape off when you're stirring uh, the food, and slowly your body absorbs that and. You develop Alzheimer's disease to where you're not able uh, to think. You don't even know where you are. You'll leave home someday and won't even know how to get back home because you're cooked out of aluminum cookware. No one should have aluminum cookware in your home. If your kitchen is filled with Christ, well, Christ would not permit you to have aluminum cookware because this is detrimental to your health. See, this is not, this is not healthy. For you, you'll end up with Alzheimer's disease. Excess aluminum in the body is responsible for Alzheimer's disease. I don't have to wait to get over in the kingdom uh, to let Christ fill my kitchen. I can do that right now. See, 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 for us, the kingdom has already come. But ultimately, Christ is going to fill every phase and facet of life. And it's, it will be for the joy and for the happiness of the people. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. What can be holy about a stewpan? See, what can be holy about a skillet? See, what can be holy? See, what can be holy about a skillet? See, holiness is not just a granny's knot on top of your head. See, that's, 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 say, say oh, I'm holy. How do you, I know you're holy. Well, look at, look at my granny's knot. Well, well, how about holiness in the kitchen? Are your skillets holy? Are your stew pans holy? Are your pots holy? See? See, holiness, holiness embraces the all of life. See? See, you don't live a secular life and then a religious life. Now, you don't have one phase of life that is yours and then another phase that's God's. See? See, all of your life is religious. See, you can't separate any part of your life from the rest of your life. See, that that's going on right here tonight is to absolutely pervade every facet and every area of our entire life. See, you can't, you can't, you can't separate your life into sections and say, now this is my secular side and this is my religious side. No, no, no. Even the, even the, even the skillet must be holy unto the Lord. The stew pans must be holy unto the Lord. The pots and pans must be holy unto the Lord. See? Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. 
And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and seethe therein. In other words, what is cooked in these utensils must be for the betterment of our health. Because during the kingdom age and throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity, uh, the redeemed of the Lord are going to live in human bodies, just like Adam and Eve had before they fell. Human bodies where that individual can partake of the tree of life and eat and live forever and never die. We're not talking about those now that get new, new houses in the first resurrection that are equal unto the angels. We're talking to that great host that comes up out of great tribulation, wash their robes and make them white in the blood of the Lamb. Then how are we going to eat right? That, that, that holiness will be manifested on the kitchen stove, on the stovetop. See, holiness will be manifested on the stovetop. Uh, back up just a little more, and the 20th verse uh, shows us that, that, uh, that holiness absolutely uh, reaches out beyond uh, reading the Bible or praying, or a little granny's not on top of your head. Uh, holiness re- reaches out to our relationship uh, with another phase of God's creation, animal kind. Another phase of God's creation, animal kind, animals. Uh, how, how we relate to, to animals. Uh, uh, animals, the, the Scripture said, in that day, verse 20, shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. See, even the bells on the bridles uh, of the horses uh, will will say holiness unto the Lord. That just means that that uh, that transportation, uh, uh, leisure, work, whatever whatever these animals are engaged in. That, that, that every facet of life will be conducted in a way that brings honor and glory to God. Uh, holiness reaches in, in and touches every facet of life. You can't divide up your life and try to act like an angel here and act like a devil at home. Uh, try to show the right spirit here and act like the devil at home. So you can't do that. See, you can't do that. Holiness must be manifested in all, all phases and all facets of life, wherever you go. You, 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 you just can't cut God on and off and act godly here and then act God, ungodly there. Act, act, act righteous here and then, and then fudge a little bit in unrighteousness over there. Uh, see, in other words, we must absolutely be governed by, by, by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, so that the principles that prevail in God's law, the principles that prevail in God's law, will carry over and, and be, be manifested in every, every facet of life. See, see, the law of God will never come to an end. Although we could never be saved by, by perfectly obeying the law because of our fallen nature. See, for by, for by the law... Uh, shall nothing be made perfect. Paul said in Hebrews, 
for the law made nothing perfect. Because the fallen nature down there cannot be eliminated just by perfect obedience. All you can do as long as it's there is sit down on it. God give you enough grace and desire to go contrary to it. See? But we're talking about a body that's free from the fallen nature, whether in the human or in angelic. And Jesus made the statement here in Matthew, the, the fifth chapter of Matthew. Jesus made this statement. And he said in verse, verse 17, he said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. He said, I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. I haven't come to destroy the law. He said, I, have abs- I haven't come to do away with the law, not the moral law of God. Uh, I-, I have absolutely come to obey, to implement, to inculcate uh, the law of God, and to see to it that all the prophecies of the prophets have their fulfillment. Verse 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, Now, will heaven ever be done away with? No. Will the earth ever be done away with? No. No. The earth that we stand on will absolutely be here a hundred million billion years from now. Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So heaven and earth will never pass away. It will never pass away. It will always be here. A new heaven and a new earth that John saw in the book of Revelation is, is just, just a new heaven and a new earth absent of the curse, absent the effects of the curse, absent the effects of the fall, the fallen nature, curse, the death, the sin, sickness, the tornadoes, uh, all of these conditions that, that harass us from living a pleasant life. Uh, all of that is to be eliminated. Uh, progressively after the second advent. So, so Jesus said here in verse 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle, that means not one, one dot over an I, or one crossing of a T, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. In other words, in other words, all the prophecies of the prophets are going to come to pass. And 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 when they come to pass, heaven and earth is still going to be here, and not one jot or one tittle shall pass from the law. Uh, it it will the law, the moral law of God will be in effect throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. Uh, a Gabriel is a perfect manifestation of the perfect implementation of God's law, uh, the, the Ten Commandments, uh, the, the, the law of God, the moral law of God. Uh, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, this just means that 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 the law of God is a uh, uh, is uh, uh, then there's there's the law and then I believe there's case law. In other words, in other words, there are situations 
that we can only determine the proper resolvement of that situation by going back to the fundamental original law and apply the principle in that law over here in this situation and apply the principle in this original law over here and then we've got case law. See, we have case law over here. That just means that, that, that Paul said in Romans 7, the law is holy. And that means the, the principles in the law of God are to carry over into the entirety of life. See? So that, so that, so that, uh, wherever you are, whoever you're with, uh, there, there, there is a moral standard, a stabilizing influence in your life that is absolutely governing your conduct at all times, without which you could not be trusted in the first resurrection. Without which you, you would not fit into this house not made with hands. See, see this this house that not made with hands here in second in Second Corinthians, uh, Paul Paul made the statement here in Second Corinthians the the fifth chapter. In Second Corinthians five, he said, "For we know that if this human body is going to go back to the grave, and it is, it's going to go back to the dust." We're going to put it off, and, and we, we want to put it off. He said, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God. See, there's, a, there's another house. Uh, they, they that are counted worthy to obtain that world, uh, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, neither can they die anymore, for they're equal unto the angels. So there's another house. That our soul is going to move into. We're going to be clothed upon with another house. Different than this house. Different composition. But that house is measured. And it's not going to, it's not going to be so big that it can take our flabby spirit. Our sloppy spirit. Our, our heady, high-minded spirit. Our over-touchy spirit. Uh... Uh, see, see. In other words, in other words, that that house, God already knows the spirit, the attitude, the love, the mercy, the long suffering, the gentleness, the kindness that I must move into in order to to uh, to acquaint my in order to to uh, uh, to, to, to to fit uh, into this new house. Uh, I, uh, John and, 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 and uh, was it James and John that wanted to barbecue this city? And the Lord said, you know not what spirit you're of. Uh, their, uh, their vindictiveness, their self-righteousness, uh, their uh, get-back spirit was, 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 was so, so flabby. They, they, they weighed about 475 pounds. So it was so big. That, that, that if the Lord would have wanted to put them in their new house, they, it would have been like trying to squeeze through a keyhole. It just been too big. They couldn't have got in there. See, because they knew not what spirit they were of. See, their vindictive spirit, their get-back spirit. See, their grudging spirit. See, their, their touchy spirit. If they hadn't been so touchy, they wouldn't want to, to barbecue the people. So, so, so they couldn't, 
they, 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 they hadn't brought themselves into the proper measurement where they could move into that house. See? You know, it is possible to buy a new house and have too much furniture for the house. And somebody tells you, so you just can't get all that furniture in here. You're just going to have to get rid of something. You just got too much furniture. Imagine when some of our saints tried to move in our apartments, they found out they had too much furniture. You couldn't get all that furniture in the apartment. That's what I'm talking about. We're carrying too much excess baggage. And we, we're, we're too big. We can't get into that new house. See? We've got too much furniture. Our attitudes, our feelings, our ideas, our ways. And Paul said, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly designed to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we should not be found naked. We don't want to go around as a disembodied spirit throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. We, we want a house to work through, to live in, to operate through. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be replaced with life. It's so in mortal body, it's raised an immortal body. Well, we, we want mortality to be swallowed up of life. Well, we want mortality to be replaced with immortality. Now, he that hath worked in us, wrought us, he that hath wrought us, uh, worked in us, for this self-same thing is God. Uh, God has absolutely been hammering us like a wrought iron craftsman, uh, bringing that material into certain shapes and sizes and forms. Now, he that hath wrought us, like iron is, is wrought, as a workman begins to work on that, wrought iron has been worked on. Uh, now, he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given us the earnest of the Spirit. We have the Holy Ghost. And now, when we have this Holy Ghost, Paul made the statement here in, in Ephesians, the uh, fourth chapter of Ephesians. He made uh, the statement here in Ephesians 4 that, that, uh, that this Christ, who is going to fill all things with himself, and he's working now to fill the church. And Ephesians 4 and verse 11, So he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. And what did he do that for? What did he do that for? Well, he did that for the perfecting or the maturing of the saints of God, that they might develop to the place where they will be able to do the work of ministering uh, to one another, to do the work of the ministry. Uh, we, we know that we serve Christ by the way we serve one another, the way we minister, how we minister, how we're addicted. Uh, hold your finger right there. There's another verse of Scripture uh, that I want uh, that Paul is talking about a brother uh, that was, I believe it's the 16th chapter of First uh, Corinthians, uh, the 15th verse. First Corinthians 16, verse 15, shows us how much this brother served Christ, how much he was a servant of Christ. Uh, I can, Paul knew this man was a servant of Christ. He knew he was a servant of Christ by the way he was addicted to serve the saints of God. 
First uh, Corinthians 16, verse 15, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Achaia. See, that's in quotation marks, that's in parentheses there. Said, uh, you know the house of Stephanus, uh, that is the first fruits of Achaia, and that uh, the house of Stephanus, they have addicted themselves uh, to the ministry of the saints. Uh, whatever is the need, whatever needs to be done, we don't draw back. We don't just do our job uh, in the city and then go home and sit down and guard your mouths and lay around and burp and whatever and go to bed after a while and get up and go to work again. No, 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 no. The church will never grow uh, like that. Uh, here was the household of Stephanus that addicted themselves uh, to the ministry of the saints. Uh, to addict themselves to the ministry of the saints means that they were hooked. Uh, like someone that was addicted to drugs or someone that was addicted to alcohol. Uh, you can absolutely be addicted uh, to, to your service uh, to God's people. Uh, you, you, you wouldn't miss a Monday night or a Thursday night cleaning for anything in the world because you're addicted to it. It's, it's, like, it's like an individual that that, that's, that's addicted. Uh, this is the way, uh, this is the way uh, many of a young girl is led into prostitution. Street whores only last approximately five years. That's, that's as long as they live. Because the, uh, the pimp will promise them everything, take care of them, promise them everything, and then he gets them on dope. And uh, the, the poor girl gets high, and after a while she wants another fix. And this pimp keeps giving her dope until she's hooked. And then she wants some more. He tells her you can't have it. So if you, if you want some more, you go out there on the street and... And give your body and get some money and come back and give me the money and I'll get you some. And then she goes out and prostitutes her body for the money because she's got to have another fix. She's hooked. That's the way girls are led into street prostitution. And they only last about five years until they're dead. The average lifespan of a whore on the street is five years. And here was a family, a Stephanus, that had become addicted. In other words, this wasn't just something they did when they didn't have anything else to do. They, 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 they were not content. They were not satisfied unless they were absolutely doing something for the church. They, they, they absolutely had to be doing something. Uh, they, 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 they were making a living, but... They weren't always making a living. They had their families, the household of Stephanus. But, but unless they were keeping someone in their home, unless they was cooking a meal for, for someone that was sick, unless they was over here visiting someone that was in jail, unless they was over here serving in some capacity, unless they heard there was an all-night prayer meeting because Peter was in jail... They had to just lock up the house and leave and go over there and become a part of that all night. And they was addicted. 
See, they was addicted. They just couldn't go very long without another fix. See, they were addicted. That's, that's the only reason you've got a New Testament. Because someone got involved. And that's why this church is here tonight. And for every one of you dear children of God through the years, that God has placed it in your heart. But God be thanked, Paul said, who had placed this earnest care in the heart. See, that, that each and every one of you that, that have absolutely been addicted, there was just no way you could get around it. You couldn't, you couldn't give yourself an excuse and back off from it. There was an involvement that you, you, you became personally involved in productively that we have what we have here tonight. See, that's, that's why we have what we have. Now, to go from here to the end, it'll take, it'll take that same amount of addiction. It'll take that same amount of earnest desire or the church will level off. And in leveling off, it will begin to slide and drift back. The only reason we have a school is because God has placed it in the hearts of many of our sisters to freely give their time and help in our schoolroom. Otherwise, we just couldn't handle it. We couldn't do it. It could not be done. The same God that touched the hearts of the saints in that early church they had property, they sold it, they brought the money and laid it at the feet of the apostles. Now, God did that. It was God that touched their hearts. It was God that did that. God did that. Well, God is still touching hearts. And here, so here comes a sister and says, if you need me this year, I can give two days a week to the school. See, see God's touching her heart the same as God touched Barnabas' heart from Cyrene. It was a Cyrene from Cyprus who, having land, sold it. And brought the money and laid it at the feet of the apostles. See, God did that. Well, God's still doing that. See, God's still doing that. And that's what causes the church to move. We grow. We go forward. And so, Paul went on to say here in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, see, for the perfecting of the saints, verse 12, for the work of the ministry, for the building up or the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. The unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure. Now, we read in Revelation 11 that, that, that the temple and the altar and those that worship therein are measured. But the courts which are without, leave out, and measure them not, because that's where the Gentiles are tonight. That's Babylon out there. That's not a measured place. You can dress like you want to dress. You can talk like you want to talk. You can live like you want to live, because it's not measured. It's all final resurrection material. See? See, the courts are not measured. The courts are left out. Now, all of that out there is not a measured place. Because that is final resurrection material. But this in here is first resurrection material. 
in the body of Christ. This is first resurrection material, therefore we're measured. And since, since we're being measured, the message that goes over the pulpit is different. We don't go to football games. We don't go to basketball games. We, we, we don't engage in sports. Uh, we, uh, uh, we, we, we don't watch uh, any kind of a film that would be uh, uh, detrimental to our morality. Well, we, we show films to our children at school, but we screen those films. And if there's something in a film that would detract from holiness, it's bleep bleeped out. So the children's mind is not infected with that, not contaminated with that. Very careful. See, holiness unto the Lord is also to be reflective in our leisure time, also in our instructive time or our learning time. See, holiness cannot be separated from other phases or, or times of our life. And so, Paul said that, that we are all to come in the unity of the faith. There's to be a uniting in our minds and our thoughts and our thinking until we can live together, absolutely live together, and never start a quarrel, never start an argument, never get involved in a fight, never get mad at one another. In other, words, in other words, to come to the unity of the faith means there are certain, certain fundamental concepts of life, action, reaction, response to life situations, creative, creative activity, responding to creative conditions. There, there is a certain frame of mind and image of God that we must incorporate, come to the unity of the faith, that doesn't mean that all the women wear their hair alike, or all the men wear the same shoes, or, or we all have the same personality. That's not what that's talking about. Because God, that is a God of variety and diversity that has created different colors for the human family, and a multitude of colors... Uh, for the flowers and, and for the species of the lower forms of life. Look at the colors of the fish in the sea. Uh, and they're all different. Some live in water, some live on land, some fly in the air. See? But there's a certain harmony that exists. To come to the unity of the faith means that we become peacemakers. We absolutely arrive at the, at the place where... We know what God's doing in the earth, and we know how to be a part of it. We know how to cooperate with it. We know how not to challenge it. We know how not to draw back from it. We know how not to hinder it. We know how not to throw an obstacle in front of it. We know how to deal with an individual that would be a problem to it. See? Because we're going to dwell side by side in the kingdom. And evil, iniquity, will never rise up again the second time. So, so there is there is standards. There's measurements. I'm, I must absolutely learn how to think. How much self pity 
am I permitted to have for myself before I go beyond that that's measured by God for me? How much self-pity could Christ have when he cleansed ten lepers and only one came back to thank him? How much self-pity could he wallow in? How, how far could he go in making statements and comments that would cause people to feel sorry for him? When, when Christ was measuring his ego, he said, weren't there ten cleansed, where are the nine? Now that's as far as the measure would measure him to go in measuring his response to that which was good that was not, was, was not repaid in like manner, that, that, that there could be human hurt there, how, how much are we permitted to say to cause people to become sympathetic towards us? And so much that you'll even, even draw back from the man of God and draw close to a troublemaker in the church because your sympathetic spirit will reach out to them instead of standing here with me behind this pulpit. See? See? In other words, in other words how much could Christ say to engender sympathy for himself? See, there's a measure. See, there's a measure. The temple is a measured place. The altar is measured. And the individual in there is measured. And Paul said here in Ephesians 4, he said, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect, complete, mature man. Unto the measure. See, there's a measure. Unto the measure of the stature. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Unless you know what that measure permits, then you never will come within the confines of that measure. And you never will fit in that new house. And so you must sleep on for 1,000 years and wait for the final resurrection. Because you never could bring yourself within the measurements that God has delineated or specified or spelled out for you in order to bring that area of your life, your spirit, your emotions, within specified limits of conduct. And when you come within those specified limits of conduct... Then, then you, you, are, you are within the measurements of Christ, the fullness of Christ. See, you're within the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And, and when, when, we, when we operate within that measured function, see, see the measured function, they're stoning Stephen to death, stoning him to death. And all that beheld him, but hell as it were, the face of an angel. In his last words, he said, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of the Majesty on high. And Stephen said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Does that sound like a vindictive spirit? Does that sound like a get-back spirit? 
Does that sound like a vengeful spirit? Does that sound like a touchy spirit that just, I've, uh, I've done good, worked myself to the bone, this is all I get? Does that sound like a touchy spirit? Touchy, touchy, touchy. He hadn't done anything to be stoned to death. <clears throat> but in this measured place, Stephen was absolutely able to respond within the measure that God intended for this area of his life to respond when it was touched, when it was dealt with. He had a measured response. And that measured response was of such that he could fit in that new house and be trusted that he would never misuse the awesome power that was at his command because his responses had become measured. Where his responses were the responses that the healed image required so he could just fit right into that new house and handle all that awesome power and never one time misuse it. Regardless of what he faced from then on throughout eternity, nothing that he would ever face, nothing that ever posed a threat or a challenge would ever provoke a misuse of that power that authority. This is the purpose of the church. It's an honor to be in an assembly like this. It's an honor. It's an honor to be in an assembly like this. We should all thank God that we're here. That God has put us in an assembly just like this. The first day of the new year, we've come through such a beautiful year. We've had problems, but oh, what a victorious weekend we just came through. Sister Dean said there's victory in the camp tonight. Certainly there was. God is with us. All of our meetings this year, this past year, have been outstanding. If you've listened to the tapes, you know they're outstanding. As far as I know, this is the only arm of the body of Christ where a ministry is even thinking the kind of thoughts that went forth Saturday in the Tampa meeting. There's, as far as I know, there's not another minister anywhere that's even thinking along those terms at all. What is God doing? Where are we going? How is God going to do it? Giving direction, giving leadership. <clears throat> the timing. I said in Tampa we had 10 to 15 years. Came home and found out that December the 1st, 1999, the Euromart's going to have a common currency called the ECU, European Currency Unit, the ECU. One ECU, two ECU, five ECU, ten ECU bill, hundred ECU bill, ECU, European uh, currency unit. And uh, that'll go into effect December 1st, 1999. That's the year 2000. And they'll have one common bank. None of the nations of Europe will have their own currency after that. <clears throat> that fell right in harmony with what, what I had saw in the Scriptures. And then 
Looking at Luke 21, and Jerusalem shall be trodden under the feet of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles shall be fulfilled. This generation shall not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. We had a problem with that because we thought 1948 was when that prophecy was fulfilled because Israel was back home. What we failed to, to see, and it was so plain, that Jerusalem was still not in the hands of the Jews. Tel Aviv was the capital of Israel. It was only in the Six-Day War in 1967 that Jerusalem was set free uh, from Gentile control. And if you remember the, the pictures at that time, uh, the Jewish soldiers that had captured the city were in ecstasy at the Wailing Wall, at the Western Wall for the first time. Uh, they had access uh, to the Western Wall. Uh, the Wailing Wall, or the Western Wall, they don't like to call it the Wailing Wall. They don't want us to call it the Wailing Wall. They want us to call it the Western Wall, Wailing, because, because the Jews have a way of um, uh, making a sound when, when they pray. called Wailing Wall. But they don't like for us to call it that. They want us to call it the Western Wall. And that Western Wall is an original part of the retaining wall that was built when Herod rebuilt the temple. Uh, the temple that Herod rebuilt, uh, that the Jews pointed out to Jesus Christ how beautiful it was. Oh, how beautiful it was. And Jesus said, it's all going down. Uh, when that was destroyed in AD 70, this wall remained, this retaining wall. It's been there for 2,000 years. That wall has been there. And the Jews had access to that wall in the, during, at the end of the Six-Day War, in 1967. So if, if, if a generation is 40 years, then that brings us up to the year 2007. See, everything is just beginning uh, to flow. We're, we're getting a handle on how much time we've got to work for God. See, we're getting a handle on, on how much time we've got to get out of debt and, and to get ready to get out of here, to go with Him when He comes. We're not going to leave a whole lot of bills behind. Uh, we, we have to... We have to learn how to travel light if we're going to go up uh, with him when he comes. The same Jesus that you've seen uh, go away shall uh, so come again in like manner as you have seen him go away. And we have to get ready uh, to travel light. And so, so the Lord has helped us to where we're looking into the future now. And we know that our heavenly David is absolutely going to bring about uh, this healing. Let him do it. I do not intend to go anywhere, push myself on anyone. I would only be rejected. Uh, when it's time, if my services are wanted, they will seek me out. They will come to me. Uh, for me to push myself on any of them will only push them back. And I have no desire uh, to push myself on anyone. Uh, the Lord can raise up anybody else He wants to, and that's fine with me. But if my services are to be implemented, then I must stay busy in this arm of the fellowship that God has raised up for us and wait, just wait, until the elders came to David. When they came to David, that's when the breach was healed and the tribe tribes were united. And so we will wait. And when it's time... If, if I'm needed somewhere, they will make their approach. If not, that's fine. I've got enough to do uh, to finish out my lifespan. The Lord willing, we intend to hold two meetings in Africa this year, uh, the last day of July 
and the first two days of August uh, in uh, uh, Nairobi, Kenya. And then the next weekend, which will be the second weekend uh, in August, Friday night, Saturday and Sunday, uh, in Harare, Zimbabwe. <clears throat> the Lord willing, we're going back uh, into Africa and working to secure uh, the beachhead uh, that God has given us <clears throat> on that continent. So <clears throat> we, will, we will have at least, I, I, will know, I know we'll have at least eight general uh, meetings among us, uh, plus, plus other uh, fellowship meetings around uh, from time to time, and any other meetings that some brother uh, might, uh, might ask us to give him a meeting, and we will do the very best we can uh, to, work, to work that meeting in for him. So we're expecting a good year. My prayer <clears throat> is that this will be uh, the best year, the finest year that any of us have ever had. Uh, that the grace of God and His mercy uh, will rest upon each and every one of, of you and absolutely give you more victory and more peace uh, than you have ever had in your entire life. And that this assembly will grow and be a credit not only to this fellowship and to Jesus Christ, but it will find usefulness uh, for the entire body. And that God will use us for His further glory. And we'll all draw closer to the Lord. We'll come in a little closer. Just come in a little closer. Draw closer to the Lord. And uh, become more serious and more consecrated and more dedicated in our service to Him. And from time to time, I, I try to put good material in your hands. Here's a good book right here called Trusting God. It's a good book. Uh, it deals with the sovereignty of God in all things. It's a good book. Uh, it's out of print. It's a hardbound copy. And I think it's, it retails, I think, for $15.95. I'm not sure. But we got a special buy on these, on these books. This is a book that you'll want to keep in your library. It's hardbound, and you'll want to read it uh, several times. It's that kind of a book. You don't want to just go through it one time. You, you want to study. You want to get your Bible open and uh, mark every scripture. Uh, it, uh, this, this book absolutely establishes the message on the sovereignty of God that's gone over this pulpit. And uh, it's a hardbound, hardbound book, and it's out of print now, but we got 50 copies, and we can let you have them for $9.95 apiece. Now, that's cheap. In a bookstore, that's, I think that's a $15.95 book, a hard, hardbound book. If you can afford to buy one, and take it home, put it into your your library. Every every family in this church should have a have a little library in their home that made up of certain books, just just special books that 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 you can get a hold of, get your hand on at any times, and and it adds to you. We've got a big library here in the church. If you can't afford it, you can check the book out of the church library, keep it two weeks, and bring it back. But a book like this is the kind of book that you want to get a marking pencil and mark up. See, there's some books that you just want to mark up, like your Bible. You want to underline certain things, mark certain things, make little notes out to the side. You make notes out to the side of that paragraph. You make yourself certain notes out there. It tells you what the gist of that paragraph is. And this, uh, this is a good book. I hardly uh, recommend it. I, I feel that you will 
will profit from, from a study of a book like that. And that will make you more diligent. It will cause, cause you to be more, more confident in every test and every trial that you go through that God's absolutely sovereign and at work in your life in that specific situation. And if you'll respond in the right way, you'll certainly come out of it with victory. Amen? Amen. All right. Can we receive the first offering of the new year, 1992? We'll see it through in 92. It's a good, good, good motto, isn't it? Good slogan, isn't it? We'll, we'll see it through in 92. Doesn't that sound good? Don't you think that's a slogan and a motto that, that we can adopt and implement for ourselves? And we'll just not draw back or relinquish our faith or our confidence, but we'll see it through in 92. I really feel in my heart that the God that spoke through my mouth and said through me to you that he was going to join bone to bone, bone to bone. Oh, who would say that this may not be the year that we'll see some of that uh, begin to start and come to pass? It will surely uh, come to pass. It surely will. <clears throat> Whether it's this year or not, it will surely uh, come to pass. And so we have everything to look forward to. We've, we've got a good heritage behind us, good foundation to stand on, good church, good saints of God. I really appreciate each and every one of you. I, I haven't mentioned all the departments and operations of the church, but I, I want you to know I appreciate you. I appreciate everything in this church. I appreciate the way the nursery is taken care of. Uh, wouldn't it be awful if one of our little children swallowed a, a pin or a needle or a safety pin? Or the carefulness that has to be manifested in the nursery. I mean, I mean the carefulness. Wouldn't it be awful while we was having a general meeting that everybody got sick because uh, some kind of bacteria got in the food uh, being prepared in the kitchen? Wouldn't that be awful? If some kind of an outbreak of, of some kind of a, a disease broke out uh, while we was having a meeting because some bacteria got in the food because it wasn't uh, stored right, wasn't prepared right, wasn't cooked right, wouldn't that be awful? You see, you have to be diligent there. And then, then the letters that I send out uh, that are typed so scrupulously to where every word has to be spelled right and, and the spacing and the space at the top and the space at the bottom. Make that letter balance. I, I just appreciate the diligence in every area of the work of God that this assembly is producing. So see, God knows why we're here. I'm glad we found that measured place. I wouldn't want to be in a sloppy church with a bunch of sloppy people. Would you? No. no. We want to bring our school up on a higher level too, don't we? Well, right now, while the band gives us a number, the brethren come forward. First offering in the new year. Let's be diligent in our offerings this year and filling out our pledge cards. Let's be diligent in many things. Right now, let's be diligent in this offering. And may the Lord bless you real good. Amen.
He beat me up when I was down. He set my feet on solid ground. He gave my heart a brand new song. Oh, I found the dearest friend that I've ever known. He beat me up when I was down. He set my feet on solid ground. He gave my heart a brand new song. Oh, I found a dearest friend that I've ever known. Well, I was listening to Brother Goodwin speaking today. Brother Lloyd Goodwin, the late, he was speaking in a message titled uh, the elect cannot cast off Jesus, and he was laboring to uh, to establish a fact that uh, once God has chosen you and caused you to draw nigh unto Him, uh, and uh, and uh, you're one of His chosen people, it is very impossible for you to. To, to 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 shun him to cast him off and uh, he was using the scripture that is in the prophets that uh, says our children all our children shall be taught of the Lord yeah? the, the the holy unction the spirit of God uh, shall touch their hearts to feel the desire to will yeah? God gives the desire and the power both to will and to do. He gives us the desire, first of all, the desire to listen to him, the desire to take in the message, the desire to look for a, for a truth, and also he confirms that truth. And after giving us that truth, he gives us the power to do, the power to do that truth. I was very blessed. I was very blessed to realize that God chose us in time called us and uh, we have to ultimately be saved because uh, we uh, we by faith believe that we are the elect of God I deeply appreciate that truth I I, I knew this before but uh, as the man of God was speaking I was uh, I was uh, blessed that uh, I went my heart went deeper and I got to uh, better thoughts on this. First of all, he dealt with uh, uh, one scripture in the book of Genesis chapter 10 verse 8 talking of Nimrod, the mighty hunter. Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord. He was not for the Lord, but he was before the Lord, meaning that God was watching him. God was seeing every step that he was doing. But this Nimrod was, uh, was hunting the souls of men. He was not a hunter of animals. He was a hunter of the souls of men. And this hunter of the souls of men, he compared them with the religious denominations of today, how they hunt the souls of men as Nimrod and use them to build their own kingdoms. But uh, thousands of years later, Jesus Christ came and commissioned the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, and they went now to fetch people for his own kingdom. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And uh, he used the scripture in Jeremiah 16, 16, also helping us to understand, 
helping us to understand these things. Brethren, I'm very blessed this evening, and this is why I felt like sharing with you this truth that you remain focused, you remain uh, standing, you remain uh, in one accord, and, uh, and as we await the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, some of us who will see him as he is when we have not yet slept, that is good. If you, you have slept already, yes, we shall not proceed. You, you will also, in a twinkling of an eye, open your eyes and all of us we shall be caught up with, to be with the Lord for three and a half years. And then we shall return with him to establish the glorious kingdom here on earth after the three and a half years. May the almighty God bless you. Amen. Jesus took my heavy load. I am on the glory road. I'm not sorry at all. Hallelujah. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. I answered my master's call. Jesus took my heavy load. I am on the glory road. I'm not sorry at all. I love to sing songs of praises. I remember sometimes when I'm seated somewhere, I just remember a song and it keeps ringing in my ears, ringing in my ears. I think it's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Unction from above, from the Holy One that keeps me, it keeps my heart boiling and uh, maybe delivers messages through this process of. So I feel blessed. I feel blessed. Mm. Today I was reading that scripture in, in the epistle of John about the unction from above. You have an unction from the Holy One. So you know all things. Mm? Makes us to understand, to know all things. Jesus told his disciples that I leave you with a comforter and the Holy Spirit will remind you of all things that I have many things to tell you now but you cannot bear them but remember that but I will leave you with the with the Holy Ghost that will remind you of all things that comforter that he had promised that uh, the early church received in the second chapter of the book of Acts when the 120 were gathered in the upper room I am blessed I am blessed every day of my life. I am blessed. That song keep coming, keeps coming. Even if I don't physically, I may not physically see a blessing or someone else may not see a blessing upon my life physically, may not visibly see it, but there are many kinds of blessings. First of all, by faith I believe I'm an elect. I received salvation and I know that he who began this good work will keep it to the end. And he who began this good work will keep it to the end because I have the Holy Spirit of God that will guide me all through, cause me to walk in the right direction, for it is not in man that walketh to direct his footsteps, but the Almighty God directs our footsteps. So I am blessed, I am blessed, I miss my guitar, every day of my life I am blessed. When I wake up in the morning, till I lay my head to rest, I am blessed. 
I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. Every day of my life, I am blessed. When I wake up in the morning, till I lay my head to rest, I am blessed. I am blessed. I love to sing songs of praises i remember sometimes when i'm seated somewhere i just remember a song and it keeps ringing in my ears ringing in my ears i think it's the holy spirit it's the holy unction from above from the holy one that keeps me it keeps my heart boiling and uh, maybe delivers messages through this process of so i feel blessed feel blessed mm. today I was reading that scripture in, in the epistle of John about the unction from above you have an unction from the Holy One so you know all things mm. makes us to understand to know all things Jesus told his disciples that I leave you with a comforter and the Holy Spirit will remind you of all things that I have many things to tell you now but you cannot bear them. But remember that. But I will leave you with the, with the Holy Ghost, that will remind you of all things. That Comforter that He had promised. That uh, the early church received in the second chapter of the Book of Acts, when the 120 were gathered in the upper room. I am blessed. I am blessed. Every day of my life, I am blessed. That song keeps coming, keeps coming. Even if I don't physically, I may not physically see a blessing, or someone else may not see a blessing upon my life physically, may not visibly see it, but there are many kinds of blessings. First of all, by faith I believe I'm an elect. I received salvation, and I know that he who began this good work will keep it to the end. And he who began this good work will keep it to the end because... I have the Holy Spirit of God that will guide me all through, cause me to walk in the right direction, for it is not in man that walketh to direct his footsteps, but the Almighty God directs our footsteps. So I am blessed, I am blessed, I miss my guitar, every day of my life I am blessed. When I wake up in the morning, till I lay my head to rest, I am blessed, I am blessed, I am blessed, I am blessed. Every day of my life I am blessed. When I wake up in the morning, till I lay my head to rest, I am blessed, I am blessed. Oh, that blessed day when my darkness turned to light. That blessed day when my scarlet turned snow white. When I found a rest for my long divided heart. Never from my Savior to depart. My Jesus took my head alone. I am on the glory road. I'm not sorry at all. 
Hallelujah, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry, I answered my master's call. Jesus took my heavy Lord, I am on the glory road. I'm not sorry at all. Oh, that blessed day when my darkness turned to light. Oh, that blessed day when my scarlet turned snow white. When I found a rest for my long divided heart. Never from my Savior to depart. <laughs> oh, the blessed day. I was sitting in, my, in the sitting room playing the accordion with my wife. And we came up with that song one one evening because i was thinking about uh, uh, how god rescued me by the way i came from a very very terrible background uh, i came from actually i had grown up in a religious family but i diverted and i landed into a terrible uh, condition but all things work together for good but god rescued me so as i was talking with my wife and she said that god is faithful for having brought me out or actually one of my friends that we lived with a reckless life before before I was added to before as I got saved I was uh, I had passed on and we started chatting and she was commenting and saying God is faithful and uh, I uh, I came up with that song that evening I said that day all that day when I got saved, the very day when I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal savior, that day was my turning point. Oh, that blessed day when my darkness turned to light. Oh, that blessed day when my scarlet turned snow white. When I found a rest for my long divided heart. Never from my Savior to depart. Hallelujah. 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 What a day that was.